everyone. Thanks for joining me at Behind the Steams. Today I'm here with Christina Camelli. Um, Christina is a nurse, a midwife, a quilter, a free motion quilting instructor, and she works her magic in Portland, Oregon, and shares her adventures in patchwork and quilting at ChristinaCamelli.com. Um, Christina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Roxanne. I know you're like in like deadline city. And so I know carving out a little bit of time was challenging. <laughs> I was optimistic. I'm always like, oh, the things do that day. Yeah, I'll be done early. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because we're all at home and everybody's doing classes online and, and some of those big class deadlines, like you said, for QuiltCon, where you will yeah. be the instructor. So if people haven't signed up, maybe take a look, um, are coming up now. And, you know, this interview was so hard for me to come up with questions for, in part because we worked together for so long. Like, <laughs> right. how many books have we done together so far? Gosh, I mean, we probably met in like 2014 or something. Do you think, I think we, I think you just, the most recent book was the fourth one I've done with you. Yeah, I think your first book was done when I started. Yep. And so then we worked on the other three together, right? Well, yeah, so, I've got three published and then there's a fourth one coming. Yeah, that we've done together. So a fifth one total for me. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Well, and the thing people don't realize either is um, how many jobs you have. Like, (laughs) so tell me how many irons do you have in the fire right now? Yeah, well, I've got two kids. And so that's certainly the, um, the place that I feel like I spend my most of my attention. And then I work part-time as a nurse midwife. So about 20 hours a week doing that. And then I have this business. So I write the books, I teach classes, I design fabric and write patterns to go along with the fabric. So all those things together, give my talks to the quilt guilds, end up being a really full, interesting life full of variety. <laughs> well, and one of, the, one of the things that we get to do being um, in the industry that I guess people wouldn't think of is you go and you do these big shows, trade shows, and those are like 12 to 14 hour days. So you go out, you're in the, I've been in a booth for 10 hours talking to person after person after person. You've been teaching probably for longer than that. And then at the end of the day, you kind of quietly sneak away (laughs) to Uh try to have food, (laughs) sit down. Yeah. Well, and so during one of our decompression dinners, um, and maybe more than one, actually, you shared a frequently asked question that you get from your fans that Uh it makes me giggle every time I think, (laughs) do you mind if we share? No, I don't. (laughs) So what's, what's your, one of your frequently asked questions? Well, I think what you're talking about is uh, that I, I make, I design a lot of free motion quilting designs and um, they're continuous line designs and shapes that I think are beautiful and textural. Other people might perceive as looking like female genitalia, like looking like a vulva. And so I've had people sort of like quietly, politely email me on my blog to say, Hey, that quilting design that you published, I don't know, but if you realize this, but it looks like this one lady said tiny vaginas, which just made me laugh and laugh and laugh. And I was like, well, I'm a midwife. So that I'm fine with that. (laughs) I don't necessarily see it. I think vulvas look very different than what I'm stitching, but, um, 
but yeah, people do, people do see it in my quilting classes. They mention it too. <laughs> well, and it, it, it makes, you know, you, you have that like sixth grade giggle moment, right? Because yeah. all of us have a tiny person still inside of them. That's like, he, she said poop, you know, <laughs> totally. then, but then you kind of stop and think about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is so true though, because you, especially in quilting designs, I think a lot. Uh-huh you come up with shapes that you see all the time. Yeah. Like right. You're just whatever, it is. And you, it's kind of hard to break out of that a little bit, but it's like, mm-hmm. you kind of can embrace it too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like if maybe it like talked into the ground already, but I live in an, in an old craftsman kind of style house. It's a four square. And so everything is a right angle. Right. Uh huh. And there are lines everywhere. Even if you're right angle, stop. You have lines and lines and lines. So every uh-huh. time I go to quilt something, I'm like, lines, lines. Uh-huh. I just kind of feel like that's what I look around and see. And then I have to like try to do a curve and I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> so you got to practice. Yeah, right. That reminds me of a, a study I heard of a long time ago where um, young animals were raised in an environment where they didn't see, perceive, see any like horizontal lines and then once they grew up they put them in an environment where there were horizontal lines and they were like unable to perceive them because they hadn't seen them before and so I think you're right that there's something about what we get visually and then what we're able to do with um with what we what we do visually in the world well and I don't know about you um but I feel like this year more than any other the worlds are melding so like uh-huh. what you do in one sphere is overlapping so much more with what you do in maybe a different part of your life. And like, we're getting ready to record this podcast and my kid comes in and goes, I can't print my assignment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you and find I, coming through in your artwork? That's an excellent question. I would say, I mean, what I'm definitely seeing is that there's no way for this time to not influence what I'm doing. Um, and I feel like my family is perceiving more of what I do, right? My, my kids, they, I used to be doing this while they were at school or while I had childcare and now I don't have those things. And so we're all doing our things together. And maybe I appreciate more of what their experience with their teachers has been like, when I'm like, this is bizarre. This doesn't make sense what their teachers are doing, right? They've been dealing with all that on their own without witness. (laughs) Well, they've had their peers to witness, but you know, I'm just realizing that we may each understand each other a little better, but like all this stuff has come out of the, out of the pandemic. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, my, my organization didn't, um, they, there was a big decline in visits. So, um, providers who weren't actually delivering babies like me were put on furlough for a bit, several weeks. And that I was not, was not enjoying the idea that I didn't have anything to go do. Right. I'm used to being very busy, overly busy. And suddenly I was not So I just started doing these Instagram drawings every morning at eight o'clock and teaching a different quilting design every day. I bought a whiteboard and just sat there with my whiteboard and, uh, and that eventually turned into this book. Then it just gave me these ideas like, oh, I could really be teaching these concepts in a, in a formal way in a book. And so, and now I just turned that in. I just saw the cover this morning. Like it, it became something all in the time of this bizarre pandemic time. Well, in and on top of that, there, there were several industry things that were going on pre-pandemic, you know, or kind of started pre-pandemic. And then this year, you might not be in the, you know, in the hospital delivering babies, but you've like given birth to like so many new ventures. <laughs> yeah. 
what all of you had to launch? Well, my, my first fabric line came out about three days before all of our lockdowns started here in the U S <laughs> so it seemed like a really awkward time to be, to be having fabric that people could buy when quilting stores were um, less accessible. Um, but that came out and I've, I made this book. Now I started a new blog. That's like a little baby blog. It only has two posts on it, but it's about perimenopause and menopause because that's a really strong interest of mine in women's health. And, uh, and, and just like learning how to teach online well has been a big deal. And it took, it just took time. It took doing it. Like, how can I make sure that they can see what I want them to see? How can I draw in a way that there's not like light reflecting on the surface and, and there's glare that they can't see. And so having worked out how to connect my tablet. So I draw my tablet and they see what I draw and then when to switch over to my other camera and all of that has been really fulfilling. Yeah. And, oh, and this one, I'm in my babbling. Should I keep going? No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I'm really digging it. <laughs> and this one new class that never would have existed before, um, is I do this thing called how should I quilt it and quilt guilds gather some quilt top photos from their members and they send them to me. And then I put them on my tablet. I give them a little talk about like, here's what I think of when I think of how to quilt a quilt. Here's some things that I take into consideration. And then we actually do it on their quilt. And I go, okay, what's important to you about this quilt? What's your skill level like? And we come up with a quilting design right there. I'm like drawing on the pictures and they can see it. And, you know, we work on it together. It's super fun. But like, I would have never created that before now. So it's really interesting that like, this was a huge push for us to, to change what we're doing. And I know that a lot of my students are going to continue to want to do digital classes because I'm meeting people from New Zealand and Singapore and people are in the UK, you know, we wouldn't have gotten to take classes together before. Well, and that's like a fascinating class. I'm going to have to sign up for that one at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how I can develop it outside of a quilt guild uh, model, you know, because I've just been doing it as a lecture, but I think it's, I think a lot of people feel kind of stuck when they go, how do I quilt this? You know, and I feel like giving them some structured ways to think about it could be helpful. I think people would pay for one-on-one -on -one consulting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had people ask for that and I can't figure out how to set it up on my website. And there are way too many more things going on. Like I've got another fabric line to launch and I got to record these quote come videos. So it's just never gotten to the top of the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that, that kind of leads me to a question that I've been kind of pondering, you know, throughout the year is because you have so many more irons in the fire. And I, I mean, you as in global, you, everybody, yeah. um, and you specifically when your to-do list is kind of the length of your whole house, like yeah. how do you still manage to be creative? Like how do you fit that in, in a way that isn't like, it feels creative. <laughs> right. And there's like this, this corollary question, which is if creativity is part of your business, does that still feel creative to you? Or do you need an entirely new, new outlet for that? That's a great question. I think for me, so what's been nice. I like that. I have a job where I have insurance and sort of a predictable income. And that has given me a lot of bravery and freedom in my business, my quilting business to follow what's most interesting to me. So I, I just do the things that are really interesting to me. And so even though it's my business and it comes with some of the pressures of businesses like 
deadlines and, um, and details that, you know, are maybe not as fulfilling as the creative work itself, because I'm just like following my nose. And I'm like, well, what I really want to work on is this book on combining designs. Then it still, it feels so creative to do it that I'm fulfilled, I guess, through that work that I've monetized, but I've monetized it in a way that I'm not, I don't have to like chase the money necessarily. I can chase what's really deeply interesting to me because I'm, I'm trying to take care of the money somewhere else, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, I think another thing, maybe a lot of people don't know is how many people in the creative industry have day jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, but in part for that reason, because it's, it is really, really hard to make a, a true living as an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's more than a full-time job. It's lots of, lots of different hats. Um, and one thing I think is interesting is so many people that I work with, so many authors and, you know, designers and artists, they have day jobs that kind of fuel their ability to do what they do. Like a lot of people have some like seriously strong backgrounds in like geometry and mathematics and science, which at first I found kind of unusual. And now I realize, well, it's because so many of these things, they are math and they are geometry and, you know, And you have to be able to focus really deeply to be like, okay, how are we going to cut this from a half a yard? Think, 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 think. (laughs) Well, exactly. And so it occurred to me that this year you might've had some coping skills that helped you deal with the business challenges in 2020, Mm. because I'm sure as a midwife, you are used to dealing with situations that aren't always rosy. Right. Yeah. And, and really acknowledging that you don't have control, right? That is, that is something that's a constant theme of, of, uh, that I hear from my pregnant patients is, you know, it's really hard. It's hard not knowing if, whether you're having a miscarriage or the pregnancy is continuing. It's hard not knowing if you're having a boy or a girl, it's hard not knowing, you know, all sorts of things. If they really do have um, a birth defect, like they maybe saw on the ultrasound or not. And um, it's hard not knowing when your baby's going to come. It's hard not knowing how long your labor is going to be or how bad it's going to feel to you. And all of that is there's so much having to relinquish control. And I'm witnessing my patients struggling with that, succeeding with it, suffering with it. Um, and, And so it's something that's present in my mind a lot. It's like, well, what can you control? And so I've had good days and bad days for sure. But I feel really grateful that I've, I feel like I've been able to to mostly come out, you know, and, and still move forward and, and not be suffering too much, which is, which is not to say there haven't been days of suffering. <laughs> and I think that that's normal and that's part of life, but they haven't been, they haven't been eras of suffering, you know, they've been moments and, and episodes. Well, and, and that's kind of you in a nutshell, if I can say that, like, you're one of the most Zen people I know, like, even <laughs> when things maybe aren't going the way you want them to go, like, you'll pick up the phone, like, hey, I noticed this, here's why I think we should do something differently, like, but there's never, you know, it's always so peaceful and calm. And it's like, you know, do you think that kind of has helped you? Has it been difficult to keep that attitude this year? That is so sweet. I feel like this year has helped me develop more patience. And, and really, I'm not sure that like my ex-husband would agree with you there, but (laughs) (laughs) I've heard some very different things about myself and you might want to check in with, with Carla, my editor, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, I feel like this, because there's nowhere to go, right. There's, you can't just be like, well, 
we're going to stuff all these emotions down into this and then, and then run away to the coast for the weekend or whatever. We're going to, we're going to just blow it all off, all all this steam off at like a softball game. Like none of that is happening. (laughs) And so, and, and it's really been, it's, I think great for me and my kids, my relationship with my kids, because we're, we've been had so much more interface that we've had to, you know, we don't, we can't just like get all irritated with each other and drop them off at school. And then everybody's like chilled out by the time we see each other again, like we're in each other's faces. So if we, if we amp it up, it's going to stay amped up for much longer and we're going to feel that discomfort for longer. So it's been really helpful for me to like keep things from elevating so fast. So I'm grateful for that. I'm ready for it to be over, but I'm grateful that it seems like yeah, <laughs> there's I'm been a lot sure. of chances to practice. Exactly. And I'm pretty sure you just described my last weekend. Um, <laughs> 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 well, and it's so true though. I mean, it is so true that, you know, you, there isn't, especially now that the weather's gotten colder. So for some people, it, it hasn't gotten colder because they live in a warmer climate. But for people who don't, not only are you at home, but you are inside. You are inside. And right. it gets a little a bit. Walk is a nice break. Yeah. So what are your, like when, it, when you kind of feel like you're just about like, I'm about 10 seconds from blowing. Like, what do you, because you are so Zen, like, what do you do? Yeah, I, I think I do the really common thing. I think I try and take a deep breath. I also try to find, I try to find whatever the other, because it's, it's somebody else usually, right? Like I can get upset on my own just fine, but the problems happen when somebody else is there and I mistreat them. So, you know, just trying to find the positive in what they're doing. I see that you're trying to finish that game so you don't lose the coins or whatever, but school is starting. right instead of yelling like acknowledging their perspective and and making sure you know and make sure making sure that they know that that you love them and that you are trying to see their perspective while still advocating for your own (laughs) right (laughs) so those are just the you know just like the olive branch and the deep breath are the only real tricks that I know Gotcha. Well, it's, you know, it's a good lesson because I'm sure we could all hear it at one point in time or another. Right. And over and over and over, right. Stuff that makes sense. You just forget. Right. Yeah. All the time. Um, well, and so one of the things that kind of came out of the pandemic was that into the complete conflagration of everything else you had going on, you're like, Hey, I came up with a new book idea because I've been doing this stuff online. Yeah. Like, what was it like to throw writing a book into the mix of everything else you had going on? It was so different than any of the other books because I just, I mean, so the kids do go to their dad sometimes. So I do have time uh, to work, but a lot of times those are, I've reserved for teaching quilting guilds and um, online classes. So I was still trying to do the bulk of the work, the quilting and the drawing. Uh, when the kids were around and I, I like to, I, or at least my fantasy about myself as a creator is that I like to have a lot of time available and to get really deep into my project. And I feel like I have some hyper-focus tendencies. And so, you know, I can get really deep and, and really start to explore the edges of something. And then when I get yanked out of that, like, I feel like it takes time to get back down to that level of, of exploration again. So that felt hard to me that it would be like, I'm working on this for 20 minutes. And then my eight-year-old is going through some outrageous growth spurt where he is hungry, like every 37 minutes. And, you know, like, 
<laughs> so somebody like is is hungry and doesn't know what to do about that problem or somebody is having a computer malfunction as you have explained or it's just literally lunchtime or dinner time or time to take the dog on a walk or take the things to the to the post office you know the few things that I've still been able to sell in my store so that part has been hard I feel like I have had less control over when I'm needed you know and when I can and when I can have deep works work time but it still worked out right the book got written somehow is almost a mystery to me I'm like did that happen (laughs) it totally happened yeah (laughs) because everything feels so like foggy and squishy right now it's just really hard to perceive movement at all Mm -hmm. so to be like oh no I turned in that book like that's a thing that got done it feels really nice but a little bewildering that that happened (laughs) yeah it it is well and so um so for people who are quilters and who've listened to us for a while or you know you know they're they're quilters they're gonna roll their eyes a little bit but I want (laughs) to bear with us for just a minute because there are so many new people out there who are sewing and who are trying to quilt because they're tired of making masks like they Mm -hmm. maybe got a machine or they're at home and they just wanted to pick it back up so for people who don't already know yeah. What is free motion quilting? Well, free motion quilting is like if you could draw on your quilt with thread. So uh, you're the machine is stitching and you're moving the quilt underneath the needle as it's stitching to create some sort of a design. And, the, and it's not like when your machine is normally stitching, it's pulling the fabric through at this nice even rate, it's in control. But with free motion quilting, you've stopped it from doing that and now you're in control and you're choosing which direction you go. So you can draw little pictures, you could still do lines if you wanted to, there's so much variety, it's, you know, it's limitless. Well, I will note that both of you, both of us, when you were talking about it, we were both like, yeah, and you move it around. Exactly. Well, so you've got, you, you make your quilt top, you've got a backing, you've got a batting and right. the stitches that put it together and keep it together and hold it together. Those are your quilt, quilting stitches. Right. So yeah. So the free motion ones are where you just kind of, you freestyle it. Right. So that's a really, that's a better description coming from the wider angle. So, right. When you need to hold those three layers of the quilt together, you could hand stitch it. You could stitch straight lines, just the way you normally stitch with your machine, or you can like draw with thread and freestyle, like you said. Yeah. And it, it looks amazing. I mean, it can really add a lot to a quilt. Um, yeah. And, and it could be, so- be art on its own, like even on just a whole cloth piece of fabric, right. It turns it into this textural experience. It, it really does. And if you, if you're new to quilting and you haven't done this before, once things open up um, and we start having the shows again, go to a show, take a look at the quilts um, and you'll see kind of how that becomes part of that artistry that is the quilt, not just yeah. the stitches that hold it together. Right. Um, and so for somebody who is new to quilting and especially free motion quilting, you in particular have a pretty comprehensive line of instruction out there. Yeah, I've got, so the first book I wrote was called First Steps to Free Motion Quilting. And that was assuming that like, you've never done this before. What do you need? And the first part of the book is all the little, the little steps that like the tools that you'll want to consider and the steps that you go through like one step at a time, like take a stitch down, take a stitch back up, pull on this thread. And, um, and then there's a troubleshooting guide in the back. And in between there's all these 
projects that you can work on, which I highly recommend to have a project that you're trying to complete. It will make you much more confident as a quilter once you see that you finish that project with your free motion quilting. And I've done uh, lots of videos with Craftsy and, um, and then I've got a free motion design book called Step-by-Step Free Motion Quilting. And then I got really fascinated with how we create quilted texture how some designs have a lot of texture and others don't. And, um, and how I was curious about how you can recreate that texture or intentionally create that texture. So then the step-by-step texture quilting book came along. Well, and one thing that I think is really cool, and I will say that your first book is over there because I, I pick it up <laughs> and look at it every, you know, when I'm working. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the things that's really cool is that especially in your first books, you're on a domestic machine. Right. And if you're new to sewing, a domestic machine is a sewing machine that you just go to the store and you buy. It's, you know, a regular, what you think of as a sewing machine. And you kind of show how you can still quilt your quilts on your regular sewing machine and not have to invest in this, this seriously large piece of machinery until you get to the point where you love it so much. You want that piece, you know? Yeah, it's, that's so true. And, uh, and I have both now I have a domestic and a long arm and I like quilting on both. Like I still, even though I have the long arm, there are some quilts that I'll finish on the domestic. It feels, it feels more comfortable to me still because I've been doing it longer. And, uh, you know, I think most people who are quilting are doing it on a domestic and don't have the, the machinery, the people who, who do most of the speaking for the quilting industry, though, they have, you know, we've, leveled up with that because it might make things faster or easier in some way. Um, but I like to make sure that my instruction is helpful for, for people who have whatever tools they have. I don't like that, uh, sometimes the quilting industry becomes very exclusive and just for sort of people with a lot of money to spend. I want people with whatever tools they have to be able to enjoy this craft. It brings so much joy and peace to my life. I want it to be for everybody. So that definitely includes how do you finish your quilt on your own machine or in your own home without much special equipment? (laughs) Yeah. And for those of us who quilt in a very small space, that's what you got to (laughs) do. Right. Maybe your sewing machine has to go back in the closet at the end of every day that you sew. Right. That's, I mean, that's real life, but it can be done and, and it can be beautiful and fun. It's just that the internet like elevates people who's like their whole life is quilting <laughs> and you know, they, they have entire studios dedicated to it. I, I just want everybody to be able to love quilting, however much space or money or time they have to put into it. Well, and, and, and that definitely it definitely comes through. And one of the things that's your newest book is kind of, so this is hitting play for all the people who are already quilters and already enthusiasts and fancy. <laughs> <laughs> they can kind of tune back in at this point. Um, <laughs> so they're, everybody's caught up now. Um, so what you've got coming out this fall mm-hmm. is actually kind of a culmination of all the different books you've done. Like, yeah. It kind of feels that way. So where can you talk a little bit about the where the idea for the book came from? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I first started quilting, what I did was quilt, I would pick like one design and I would quilt the entire quilt in that one design, like this quilt's going to be spirals and that quilt's going to be meandering. And that was where my brain was at the time. But pretty soon I started feeling more comfortable with free motion quilting and feeling like it didn't just need to be one design. 
And so then the question was, well, how do you get more variety in your quilting? How do you get more designs in the design, more motifs in the design basically? And um, I could see other people quilting like that, but I didn't really understand when I looked at their work, like, well, how are they doing that? You know, how do they know when to switch designs? How do they know what designs work together? How do they move from one to the other? And so I sort of just experimented and developed some techniques that worked for me and then started teaching them. And I've been teaching them now for like three or four years. Um, and I feel like my initial techniques are still valuable, but I've also got a lot of, a lot more knowledge about how do you move around the space in a way that you don't block yourself off from somewhere you're trying to get? How do you, um, how do you take advantage of the certain like shapes and areas to fill that develop and, and how do you recognize those? And what do you just, what do you do to get that beautiful sort of textural wow kind of thing and so all of that you know I wrote the texture book so I already had an idea about texture and I wrote the big the quilting designs book and so I already had an idea about how to teach quilting designs and these are much more complex um, but there's it's still kind of like I just need to teach you how to think about it and once I do that you're gonna, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna have infinite designs available, right? So the book has specific designs, try to combine this leaf and this flower and these pebbles. But once you understand the technique that I'm using about when to switch between them, then you'll be able to do that with anything and maybe choose something that's even better for you and your aesthetics and your, the particular quilt that you're quilting. Well, and one thing that I thought was really, cause you know, when you first called me up and said, Hey, I've got an idea. Uh -huh. <laughs> you were like, one of the things that was, that, that really struck me was that you explained like, look, these are designs people are already working with. Everybody's already familiar with, right. you know, pebbles and feathers and leaves and all of this. And you're like, I just want to show them how to put it together. Like, yeah. and you, you described it as like a composition, Yes. Like, so what's that concept? Because I think people will find that really interesting. Yeah, the concept is uh, that you, so once you're familiar with just, even just a few quilting designs, let's say you know how to do spirals and you know how to do pebbles and you can do like a leaf. You've already got maybe 15 quilting designs that you can do depending on how you put those things together that you already know how to do, right? You can change, you can like evenly alternate between them. I'm gonna quote one pebble and one leaf and one spiral and then repeat the, the whole cycle again. You could quilt them in clumps. You could have a clump of spirals next to a clump of pebbles next to a clump of leaves. You could do something else like, uh, how else would I use that? You could start to structure them within other, um, other structures, you can start to create um, divisions across your space and fill one of those areas that you've divided up with pebbles, fill another area that you've divided up with spirals, fill another area up with leaves. You're gonna get such different effects with those three samples that I've mentioned, even though they use the same three designs. So it's really about, you know, giving you the freedom to use the things you already do well and just use them in a way that's exciting for you to stitch. So you're not like, oh my gosh, I've got a you know, stitch yards of spirals or whatever, and something that's really exciting for the viewer to take in. You know, I don't, my experience at quilt 
shows is like, oh, you see a quilt on the wall and the design is interesting. So you move closer and then you're perceiving more of the, um, of the decisions the quilters made. Maybe you're seeing specific fabric or specific quilting, but then you sometimes move even closer and start to notice other genius things I did. they did. And that's like where you start to see, oh, this is how they use that motif or look at how pretty the pebbles look in this, in this strip right here. And so I think when you have beautiful quilting, it's like a reward for a viewer for getting close and having a personal moment with your quilt, right? They've come closer and your quilt gave them something to notice, like gave them a little extra present that wasn't, you couldn't, they couldn't perceive if they had just stayed so far back. No, that's, that's so true. And yeah, you do. Once you kind of start going to the shows and you see some of it, you notice that, but, um, yeah, I have, a, I have a tangential story. I'll just let it go. Um, <laughs> I, decided, yeah, that, I just need to let that go. But, you know, so for, for somebody who does quilt, um, but not at your level, like at all, I'm not going to claim to go there at all. But the idea of coming up with something that is like a composition that is part uh -huh. of the artistry of the quilt can seem a little bit intimidating. So yeah. like, how do you break it down? Mm. Because well, I think mostly, you did a, did a nice job of that. How do I break it down? Um, in the book, I would say I'm mostly just talking about strategies because I think a lot of us will explore the next, the next thing that's close to what we're comfortable with, right? So if we're comfortable with doing these pebbles in a line, then the next thing we might explore, you know, might be, well, what if I... What if I echo around them first, you know, before I move on to doing something else? Whatever it is, I, it's mostly about just teaching the structures. Have you ever thought about building one quilting design on top of another, on top of another, on top of another? Here's what that might look like. Here's some ideas. And so the idea is that you can either take, just, you know, use the handhold of what's in the book um, like a specific design and, and, and wrap your head around it that way. That's how some people need it. They're like, oh, I'm really comfortable over here, but I guess I'll try that little, that thing that you said, and they're going to move forward like that. And other people are going to be like, oh, I get it. You can put the designs together this way and they're more feeding off of the structure. So I guess I'm trying to, to, to help both quilters, whether you're kind of coming at it from the like Nova inspiration angle, or if you're on the like, I need to be accompanied, uh, you know, when I try new things angle, either way, I feel like you can do it and you'll, your instincts will guide you. I think I tell, teach people a lot about their instincts. Like, um, I, I keep saying, when I teach, I keep saying, you're going to know when it's time, you're going to know when it's time to switch designs. You're going to know when your clump of pebbles is big enough, or you're going to know how many times you need to echo that thing. And I, and I really believe that, you know, I, I think some of the, some of the magic of what I do is just to like help people trust themselves and to like turn off their inner critic. That is a big one. Just like get her to stop talking for a little while so that you can hear what your inspiration is telling you. And that serves us in every area of our life, right? There's no time in our life that we don't need our, our intuition to, to talk to us. We need to, we need to follow our intuition about matters of health and our relationships and our careers. Like we need to be able to hear that intuition. So quilting seems like a great place to practice it, a really low stakes way to practice listening to your <laughs> intuition, you know? So I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I feel like that's all, that's sort of how I approach that. 
Well, and it's so totally you because that was actually my next question that you answered was, you know, one of the things that you pointed out as being really important with the book is that it's, it helps people understand how to develop their confidence as a quilter. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's yeah. just, yeah, that's all I, all I do is just help people see their successes and give them, give them little things that they can keep in their minds. You know, in my quilting classes, I just make sure people quilt a lot. They could watch me quilt, but that's not actually going to teach them very much. What's going to teach them is when they sit down to do it, when they have their aha moments. Oh, I realized if I turn it like this, I do better. Oh, I realized if I stop at this point and reposition my hands, I like it better. You know, so it's like, I can't teach them what they're going to like better. They have to actually get in there and feel it. Exactly. Well, and um, so bring, and that, that's pretty much the book in a nutshell. Um, so just kind of, if, if you're interested, be on the lookout for it. It's coming out in October. Um, but bringing things back around kind of full circle. Uh-huh. So in the midst of homeschooling, working, designing fabric, doing online classes, writing patterns, like all of the things you're doing, you decided to launch another whole blog that you kind of, you touched on earlier. <laughs> like yeah. what was like, Hey, I want another blog. Like where did oh, that gosh. You know, let's see, how did I come to that? Well, so my, my training in women's health was, um, was thorough, but there's only so much expertise that you can communicate in, in a healthcare program. That's true for doctors and midwives and physicians assistants, everybody. And so I came out with, with a good baseline understanding of women's health that as I went in my practice, I would see women um, in their later forties and early fifties um, who were dealing with symptoms of menopause. And I just felt like I didn't know enough to help them. And that was really uncomfortable for me. And so I just, I made a plan for how I wanted to deal with that and become a better healthcare provider for them. And so there's an organization called the North American Menopause Society. I got some continuing education through them. And then I decided I would go further and be certified as a menopause practitioner. And then I just wanted to start sharing, um, sharing information in a really digestible way for people who, um, who want to know more or having specific questions about perimenopause, which is uh, the time before and around menopause and, and the experience of menopause as well, because there's just, um, I think that we're doing better as a society about talking about it, but there's still a wide variation in how, in how providers, how much information providers have. So it's kind of, a gamble. If you just show up and talk to your provider about your hot flashes, whether, what kind of information you're going to get, and if you're going to get offered helpful treatment, um, and in a, in a good analysis of the risks of that treatment, um, versus, you know, something that's less, less helpful, or maybe even, um, just sort of writing off your, your concerns. So I definitely wanted more people to know about um, the fact that menopause practitioners exist and, um, and to just start to, it's also helpful for me when I sit down to write, it forces me to synthesize information. And if I'm, if I'm gonna say women in perimenopause often report disruption of sleep, I would be like, okay, why do I think that? Do I, can I actually say that? And then I'll go look for the reference and make sure 
that I'm right. So it may, so like I kind of fact check myself and my own beliefs when I'm writing. And then once I've done all that fact checking, I have a really solid document that's helpful for people to read when I'm not around, but it's also informs me as a pr practitioner when I have somebody right in front of me and I can go, yes, these are the things I know I already researched because they're in that article that I wrote, <laughs> you know, and this is, and so this is like this chunk of information that now I, I have, internalize better because I wrote it that helps me learn just writing helps me learn and be a better communicator excellent well and we'll put the link to that blog um, in the podcast description so if anybody's interested in Thank checking you. it out they can go see a little bit of your other world too yeah I I really I it's as a, as a feminist I feel like taking really good care of perimenopause and menopausal women is of incredible importance. Like we're at this point in our lives, we're in our forties and fifties where we've achieved so much expertise and so much, um, so much confidence. And then to have our bodies start throwing us this curveball that may, you know, be changing our moods, changing our sleep, changing other parts of our health. It's just, I, it feels like for women to be able to keep making the contributions that they are are ready to make and um, to building the, keep building the lives that they want. We have to be supporting them through this transition. So uh, yeah, anybody who's, anybody who's interested in that information, I hope they'll look it up. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, it's one of the last things people don't talk about really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I read a great article that I think was in the guardian and it's on my list of things to write about, but this woman who just started saying, she was just like, I just started saying at work, I'm having a hot flash, excuse me, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Like, you know, and just normalizing it, being like, this is a thing that happens. It is not threatening, but we need to, we need to allow it to, you know, be something we talk about, really support that. Yeah, it is very interesting. And um, so I'm almost hesitant to ask this because I don't know how many more hats you could possibly wear, but what do you have coming up that's diff that's new? Um, I'm gonna be releasing a second collection of fabric that I think will be out in May, but hopefully I'll have sample yardage and start um, to start showing soon. Um, and what else? I really, I really want to be working with uh, the Creative Spark platform and start to build some some classes there. I enjoy teaching on video and I liked my time working with Craftsy and Blueprint, uh, but there that whole situation has changed. And uh, what I find is that I really do more when I have a deadline. So I think signing up to have a partner rather than having it be completely self-directed and be like, well, I'll shoot that next month. Well, I'll shoot that next month. <laughs> you know, it'd be like, no, we're going to shoot it this month. And this is what we're, this is what the goal is for the, the program. I think having a little, a little structure from working with people works well for me. So I think that, um, that class that we were talking about with, um, uh, how do you, how should I quilt it? I think that might be my next, my next thing that I try and Ooh, that'll be fun. Through. And you know, me, like my favorite thing is like assigning people deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Let's work on it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you can set your own deadlines, but if you could have it to us, like in three months, that would be fabulous. Too, you know? <laughs> some of my favorite quote, some of my favorite like anecdotes that I teach teach uh, when I, or that I tell when I'm teaching are about deadlines. Like I love to talk about my second book, step-by-step free motion quilting. I go like, they took, CNT took a chance on me. I was just this midwife with a quilting blog. Like it didn't, you know, whatever. It was a good idea. And my book sold really well. And then they were like, Hey, your book sold really well. Do you want to write a quilting design book? And I was like, sure. And, <laughs> and for some reason, the, the deadline on that was three months. Mm -hmm. And I had really no, no 
reason to say no to that. But now I have a very definite reason to say no to that. Like that was, <laughs> that was fast. And I tell people like, and my kids were really little and I just drew and drew and drew for three months. And I hardly, I hardly did any free motion stitching at all. I stitched four little fat quarter size things that went off with my drawings in a really small box for what a whole book, you know, could be. And and uh, at the end of that three months, I tell people, I sat back down and got back to my projects and started free motion quilting again. And I was a dramatically better quilter. And I always say like, I, it wasn't because of quilting, it was because of sketching. So I, I, I tell that story to say, to say that like sketching is really important in building your free motion brain, but it's also a cautionary tale about taking on <laughs> deadlines that are Your unreasonable. <laughs> I have a feeling I feature in, in several instructors, like crazy <laughs> editor called me up and she was like, Hey, <laughs> I love getting to talk to you. Any day I get to talk to you is a good day. That's for sure. It is fun. It is always fun. Um, and I will say too, like we have a book on sketching to improve your free motion quilting. Like, oh, it's yeah. really a thing. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so nice because you can do it anywhere. You know, you don't have to like get settled at your machine and figure out where your basting pins are. Like you can just do it on the back of your, you know, junk mail. <laughs> you won't bend a needle or. Right. Yeah. You don't have to have the right thread. It's just your, and really, un, you know, figuring out how to fill the space and how to, how to manage your design. That's a whole separate skill. It's separate from the eye hand coordination. So when you sit down at the machine, you're trying to do all the skills. So if you can just work on one of them alone for a little bit before you get to the machine, that's always going to benefit you. It is lots of fun, but all right. So people should be looking out for new classes, new book, checking out your blogs. Yeah. Yeah. Check out my website. I think I'm, I'm not an over um, emailer. I send a new email like once every month or two. And usually just when I've updated classes, because I want my subscribers to be the first people to get, to get in there. If they want to register, I keep my class sizes pretty small, um, sometimes larger, but usually around 12 people. So everybody gets a chance to have their concerns met. But yeah, check my website is christinacamelli.com and it's really easy to sign up for my newsletter there if you want to hear about the new things as they come. Although I haven't announced my perimenopause blog there. That was just, that's just because we know each other on Facebook. I, think. I know, right? I did, I saw it though. I was very excited. I really appreciate you mentioning it. It's so sweet. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I know you actually are literally under deadline today. So true. Um, so I, I extra appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It was super fun. You're a great host. Well, thank you. Thank you. You were so much fun to talk to. <laughs> Bye, Roxanne. Bye.